Hello, my name is Hilary and I'd like to share my testimony with you. I was born in the 50s and as a child I lived with my parents and elder brother in a rented terraced house owned by the co-op. My father worked for the co-op as did one of his brothers and sister. Dad was the eldest of five children and his father was an alcoholic. Although my dad was clever at school, he left before taking any exams. He got himself a job to help his mum keep his siblings as his father had usually spent his wages on alcohol the evening he was paid. He married my mother just after the war and although I didn't find out until relatively recently, my brother wasn't my father's child. As a child and on the outside, all appeared to be a happy family, but indoors it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. My mother's mood would change in just a short moment and she was quite unkind to my father. She was a perfectionist and everything in the house had to be just so. And although we lived in a tiny house, she had a lady who came to help her clean, groceries were delivered to the house, and although she didn't go out to work, in her words, she was the busiest woman on earth, and we were all made to feel very guilty if we were enjoying ourselves. At home, my brother teased me incessantly and made me feel worthless. My one big problem as a child from a very early age was a food issue and it wasn't until the first time I went into rehab and was asked to write about my life I realised what a big issue it had been. Most meal times resulted in an argument at the meal table because I hadn't eaten what had been put in front of me. Therefore there was no pudding and my father was often given the job of reprimanding me. It was a huge issue. I didn't stay to school dinners until I went to secondary school and then I had to and on the first day I locked myself in the toilets because I was so worried about being made to eat the dinners because in those days we had to sit there until our plates were empty. When I was seven my parents bought their own house and I think it must have been quite a financial strain because I remember lots of arguments. If I'd been at school now I would have been diagnosed as being dyslexic. I scraped a grammar school praise, but was never really much of a scholar. I'm not sure why, but from an early age, I was the only member of my family and I went to church. I attended a Sunday school and later went to the youth group where at the age of 13, I started to smoke and very soon was addicted to cigarettes. I remember my first panic attack so very clearly. It was during a school assembly and I just had to make a dash for the door and had to get out of the hall. I was 14 at the time and that first panic attack changed my life for many years to come. I started having to plan where I would sit when I, when I was in a large room. I started having to sit in corners of room, usually at the back. All sorts of occasions were becoming difficult for me to cope with and although I didn't share it with my family, I must have told someone at school because when it came to taking my A-levels and O-levels, I was allowed to sit at the back of a large gymnasium. 
My parents would have a drink at home. By the time I was in the sixth form, not only was I smoking heavily, I also had developed a liking of alcohol. Some lunchtimes, a couple of us would walk to the pub and meet up with some boys from a local school and I was comfortable drinking pints of lager. By 18, I scraped enough qualifications to go to a teacher training college. But after a broken relationship, I transferred from Worcester College and came back to London, where I attended a local college. And although I had enjoyed the freedom from my domineering mother, I returned home to complete the course. By then, I was not only having panic attacks, but had an extremely low self-esteem. I would have drink hidden in my bedroom so I could have a couple before I went out with friends. Dutch courage, I called it, and it helped the panics. Shortly after teaching, after I started teaching, I was introduced to David by a mutual friend. We immediately hit it off because I had found my drinking and smoking partner. We got engaged after six weeks and were married the following year. In that time before we got married, we either went to the pub or the football club every single night. And of course, I still had my secret supply in my bedroom cupboard. I realised soon after I married that he was controlling and that what I had done was to leave a dominant mother to replace her for a dominant partner. It was verbal abuse that continued to contribute to my low self-esteem and nervous disposition. I still kept a bottle of sherry in a kitchen cupboard. And most days, after a day at school, I usually went to visit my mother so I could have a sherry with her. And then on the way to the station to meet David, I would stop and buy a couple of cans. And then we invariably went to the pub before we went home. All this time, I still drove and drunk while I was driving. I'm ashamed now at the time alcohol was more important to me. I had two car accidents during the first couple of years of my marriage. One was serious and still to this day, I can't understand how I wasn't caught out by the police who attended the accident and even went back to the wreck to retrieve some of my belongings for me. They brought them to the hospital. I was a functioning addict and was so good at hiding it. Our lifestyle in the 70s was one of entertaining and going out. I did manage to give up smoking in the late 70s before we started a family, but I'm sure I still drank while I was pregnant, certainly not to the extent I had been. I had four children and after the second and fourth child, I had postnatal depression and then became dependent on lorazepam. In the early 80s, one could just request a repeat prescription. There didn't seem to be any question about getting them. I didn't teach during this time. I was at home looking after the children and I loved being a mother. It was something I felt I could do as my low self-esteem continued. After David left me, when my children were two, four, six and eight, 
I was offered a part-time teaching post at the school where my children were at. It's a bit like when I was good, I was very, very good, but when I was drunk, I was awful. People used to say to me, you should see a video of yourself. You wouldn't recognise yourself. My drinking became more like binge drinking and it was my children that really suffered through this time. I could hold down a teaching job and did very well until the next binge, but I did lose several jobs because of it. In the 90s, we saw two driving convictions. The first one was for a year and the second for three, plus I was put on probation. I was referred for a counselling, but I only told them what I wanted to tell them and I was never entirely honest. I was in total denial that I had a problem. In October 1993, I was admitted to rehab, not only for alcohol dependency, but I was also addicted to the lorazepam that I'd been taking then for 13 years. I spent a month away and friends moved in to look after the children. I managed to stay sober for a while, but something always triggered a relapse. And that was the general pattern for the next few years, in and out of places for detox, sometimes at home. My mother had died by then and my father was extremely supportive and helped me when I stayed at home for detox. I was sectioned a couple of times, mainly for my own safety because I did such dangerous things when I was drunk. Alcohol was my only love and I'm ashamed now to admit I loved my drink more than my children. When I was desperate, I went to any lengths to obtain alcohol. I stole from people's houses and shops. I would befriend a neighbour and then take from them. Finally, in 2002, I had been drinking heavily all of January and by then I was drinking gin and spent my days and nights drunk. I didn't wash and I wasn't eating. Two of my children who were still living at home were there and my youngest, only 16, just carried on looking after themselves. The youngest happened to be at home on the morning I had a fit. He called an ambulance and the next I knew I had been admitted once again to Hayes Grove Primary, Priory, where I remember as I came to a nurse who had been looking after me on other occasions saying, oh, it's dead man walking this time. It was while I was in hospital that I experienced a freedom. I let Jesus totally into my life. God had healed me and that's now 18 years ago. I often wonder why it took so long to experience the freedom. It was a total of 33 years. Since my recovery, I'm not saying it's plain sailing. I hardly ever have a panic attack now. I'm still tempted at times, even now. And one thing I do experience are quite vivid dreams about drinking. I've done some dreadful things during my drinking times. Many of them I can't remember, but I do believe that God has been has forgiven me. 
The recovery programme is a wonderful way of experiencing freedom from addiction and I do encourage you to give it a try. As for my life now, I've mended my relationships with my four children. My daughter took the brunt of living with an alcoholic. She has experienced depression, eating disorders and self-harm, but we do have a good relationship now. And recently, when I spoke at her church about the recovery course, she said how proud she was of me. I did manage to teach for 14 years after I stopped drinking, and I believe I was quite successful. I am now retired and enjoy different activities and have two grandchildren whom I not only adore, but it's wonderful that I am trusted to look after them by my son and daughter-in-law. My church family at Christ Church Beckenham have been supportive, especially when we started to run a a recovery course there. By God's grace, I am here and am pleased to have shared my story with you.